0: Near before Zone! You can't go! All the plants are gonna die!
1: I'm gonna take a bath. Bad
0: dates. I'll alert the media.
1: Boys, keep off the moors.
0: It's evil! Don't touch it! The name's Pliskin. No why Hang on!
2: Welcome to a very special vintage video Patreon pick where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-1980s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
3: I'm Jesse Bayliss,
2: And I'm Richard Wells. And today, Justin Aylett has asked us to review Three Days of the Condor, released September 25th, 1975. It was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. and David Rayfield, based on a novel by James Grady, directed by Sidney Pollack, and released by Paramount Pictures. James Grady's novel, Six Days of the Condor, was published in 1974. It was followed four years later by the unadapted Shadow of the Condor, and more recently with 2015's The Last Days of the Condor, as well as short stories Condor.net and Next Day of the Condor. And don't forget Condor Man. Right, of course. Canon to the series. The film rights were purchased by Dino De Laurentiis and producer Stanley Schneider before the book was even released, and Peter Yates was quickly hired to direct. Yates had worked with Robert Redford in the past on The Hot Rock, but as soon as Redford was attached, he suggested Sidney Pollack to replace Yates, and Yates was paid out his full directing salary.
1: Yeah, well, at least he was... He got the money. It, 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 that just seems weird. It's like, Peter Yates is like, oh, wow, I really like working with Robert Redford. He's like, great, he like I like work... this other guy. <laughs>
2: Get out of here, Yates. But uh, he worked. Uh, Redford worked with Pollack on a bunch of stuff, so... Um, it kind of makes sense, but it also seems a little bit shitty, unless Yates was like, I don't really care about this one. Mm. He's like, why don't we have Pollock do it? And you can get all the money anyway. Perfect. The working title was the book's title, Six Days of the Condor. The title of the book and film were clearly an influence on Disney's spy comedy Condor Man, which we covered earlier this season. And it has been credited as an inspiration for Marvel's Captain America the Winter Soldier, which ultimately inspired the casting of Redford in the role of Alexander Pierce in that film
3: so sorry did we cover what what happened to the other three days
2: uh they were uneventful (laughs) i don't i don't know what happened
1: he he just took a day for himself a personal
3: day (laughs) and on the seventh day he rested
2: yeah (laughs) exactly the film was recently adapted to a series entitled simply condor for the audience network which i've never heard of starring max irons the son of jeremy irons in the lead with william hurt mira sorvino and bob balaban rounding out the cast Hmm i uh i liked this uh this was an imdb trivia point and i just felt it was it was worth repeating because it's so stupid <laughs> it says chris Peachment of timeout magazine described the movie as being neo hitchcock a reference to alfred hitchcock <laughs> in <It> case <gets> you were <laughs> curious what neo hitchcock meant?
3: <coughs> oh my god <laughs>
1: i i don't think i can name another person with the last name of hitchcock i can Hitchcock? hitchcock from brooklyn
2: 99 ah uh, but that's it fictional that, character Wait,
3: wasn't wasn't will smith hitchcock t- as well hancock hancock god damn it
2: in what Han- hancock, hancock. <laughs> oh forgot about that movie
3: no i think the movie was called hitchcock <laughs> <laughs>
2: that'd be really weird <laughs> because it's such a neo-hitchcock story which is a reference to director alfred hitchcock do you guys recall the last time we mentioned Robert Redford by name? Um, His name is brought up within the film that we discussed. Right. A character in one of the films is pretending to be a friend of Robert Redford's to yeah. impress a woman.
1: Uh, was it all the marbles?
2: It was all the marbles. Yeah.
0: Harry, Robert Redford called again. Now, I told him you couldn't be disturbed.
2: The film opens with credits in that 70s computer font, and we watch documents being scanned into a database. A machine turns the pages of a book as the computer scans each sheet. A woman operating the machine watches pages unfurl from a printer. Several agents in the same office discuss a case where a man was shot, but no bullet was discovered. We cut outside to Robert Redford as Joseph Turner on a bike in traffic late again.
3: Can we... I, I don't quite understand this machine. Do you understand it?
2: Yeah, it's it turns a page and then it scans the whole sheet.
3: But how is it scanning the pages? Like in the technology that it had of the days, like I didn't think we had something that could read actual text off of pages. I think like,
2: Oh, it's, it's not just reading. It's, it's taking a photograph mm-hmm. of it.
3: Oh, okay. I guess in my brain, it was understanding the words on the page and printing them out of the printer. <laughs>
2: I I think that would be a separate process if that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think in this case, it's just scanning it into an image and then that would go into a computer that would identify characters.
3: Yeah, but I I guess that's the question that I had because I feel like in this time period, they did not have anything that could do that. We
2: definitely had one in the early 90s at my house.
3: Well, this is well before that.
2: Yeah, but But, we also weren't the CIA.
1: Touché. Officially. Or were yeah. we
2: weren't officially the CIA, <laughs> uh,
1: but um, yeah, because I think that's what uh, Janice is changing out. I think she's changing out rolls of film. oh Okay, because she she keeps taking like these small rolls of things and putting them in containers.
2: So that it, so it's literally recording it to celluloid, and then uh, she's like microfiche or
3: something.
2: Yeah,
1: that, that's what it it appears to be because it's it's clearly photographing it from above. Right. So it, it has to be some kind of.
3: But I do really think I don't know how it works, but whatever they have functioning as a page turner, it's like this little metal rod goes over the corner of the page and then it's the page sticks to it. I don't know if it's like suction or air or whatever. And then mm. like it turns the page It's actually over. static cling. Uh, yeah, it's something really know. neat though. I'm just like, this is a fascinating thing because it's not like grabbing the page mechanically at all. Like it's like sucking the page up or something.
2: Which is funny because I saw a video like earlier this week about how the internet archive scans things. Yeah, and it's did. literally a person turning the page with their hand and then pulling the scanner down to scan both. Sides of the well page. see
1: no see i, I thought you were going to go the other way because i saw a book scanner that literally does suck the pages to 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 a v-shaped glass oh yeah and so it's like pulls them up and then and then just keeps like going through the book that way
2: oh the one That's that i cool. saw the the person like had the v-shaped glass that brought it down to scan it and then lifted it up turned the page and mm. then pulled the thing down but they were still turning the pages manually We get a quick insert of someone in a car across the street from the office thumbing through a folder full of pictures. There seems to be a picture of every person in this office, and then we see a list of all their names crossed out. The sign outside the building reads American Literary Historical Society. 17 minutes late, Redford rings the bell and covers his face with a cap before the secretary buzzes him in with a button in her desk drawer, which also has a gun in it. Redford checks in with Dr. Lapp to see if there's anything urgent for him to start with today. The man is attending to plants under artificial lighting, and Redford knows enough about this particular species to correct what the man is doing. He's sent to his desk to analyze a book and tells Lapp it's going to rain at exactly 10.20 today. Turner barely overhears the riddle his office mates are solving and immediately figures it out. The woman operating the machine earlier, Janice, gives him a quick kiss and sits on his desk to tell him the riddle right as he answers it. Oh
0: we've got so far is a thirty-eight. Ice. Instead of what? Ice. The murderer pours water into a thirty-eight caliber mold and freezes it and keeps it solid until the
2: crime. Turner asks Janice about. That wouldn't work. <clears throat> no, it wouldn't. It would just explode in it, the gun. It would, yeah. yeah,
3: it would definitely not work.
2: Turner asks Janice about a riddle of his own an obscure novel with no particular following translated into seemingly random languages. She asks how he solved the ice riddle so quick, and he credits a Dick Tracy comic, because we'll learn he is a voracious reader. A messenger van pulls up outside. Dr. Lapp asks after Mr. Heidegger, who appears to have made some inquiry into the Persian Gulf on Turner's behalf. Lapp is upset that this happened outside the proper channels, but Heidegger is out sick and can't defend his actions. Turner notices a pair of kids trying to steal his bike out front and scares them away before heading back inside. At the door, he checks his watch and privately celebrates, correctly guessing when the rain would strike. The man in the car across the street still hasn't crossed off Heidegger's name, and we see him making a muted phone call to someone. Lapp delivers the response to Turner's inquiry, insisting his theory is groundless. Turner is reminded it's his turn to pick up lunch.
0: What time is it? 11.22. The rain's going to stop by 11.30. You can wait eight minutes.
2: Before his time is up, Turner sneaks out the back through the rain to collect lunch. So it was still raining. While he's gone, we see Max von Sydow as a man we'll come to know as Jobert. He stands watch as another messenger rounds a corner toward the office building. The secretary unthinkingly buzzes the man in, and as soon as he's inside, he opens fire, knocking her back in her chair. Jobert and his team move all through the building, killing every agent they encounter, ending in Janice's office. Would you move
0: from the window, please? Pardon? Would you move from the window, please? I will scream.
2: I know. When Turner gets back to the building, the rain has stopped, so he comes through the front and finds the door ajar and all his coworkers shot to pieces. He spends the longest time checking his apparent girlfriend, Janice, but eventually collects the gun from the secretary's desk and leaves back out the front door. Everything outside is suspicious now. He considered his electric bike, chained up outside for a moment, but decides against it as it might be booby-trapped, I guess?
1: Yeah, that's what I would think. But I I like this whole setup in that because he went out the back door, there was no one, everyone thought that everyone was in the house with the exception of Heidegger.
2: And the fact that he comes back in the front door because it's dry outside now. Mm. And then he realizes that the front is actually the safer way to leave because no one saw me come in through the front just now. Right. He crosses the street to escape the path of a woman with a stroller, which he presumes to be another assassin. He runs to the nearest payphone and calls a major at the CIA from an unsecure line. He stutters a bit on the way to introducing his code name, Condor.
0: Well, I don't... What is your designation? Uh, Condor. Section 9, Department 17, the section's been hit. What level? What level? Level of damage. Everybody. Dr. Lapp Janice, Ray, Harold. Harold was in the, uh, uh... Well, you in a company line? No, no, I'm in a phone booth. I'm I'm just a block away. I'm in the street. You're in violation of secure communication procedures, Condor. Listen,
2: you son of a bitch, I'm
0: telling you, I came back with lunch and it was raining and the whole house was murdered. Everybody is dead.
2: He mentions that he collected the forty-five from the secretary's desk. He's advised to leave the office to a safe place, anywhere but home, and to leave the phone hanging off the receiver and walk away. He runs full speed to the Guggenheim as a pair of cleaners enter the office of Section 17 and confirm Turner's testimony to Higgins, played by Cliff Robertson, at a CIA office in the World Trade Center. The cleaners confirm six dead, one missing. Turns out, unbeknownst to the filmmakers, the CIA actually did have a secret office in the World Trade Center, which was not publicly known until two months after it was destroyed in the September 11th attacks. As he eats a pretzel in Central Park, it occurs to Turner that Heidegger was out sick, so he heads to the man's apartment and finds the door ajar. Heidegger is dead inside, and Turner quickly leaves and hides a few floors up as a pair of agents come up the stairs to check on the man. We cut to Langley, where Wicks, the man in charge of Section 917, is informed of the hit. He's confused because those agents are just a research team. Nothing too hot. Wicks orders a helicopter to New York. Against the advice of his handlers, Turner heads back to his apartment and is, by chance, warned by his landlady that two friends are waiting for him in his apartment. You just let people in because they said they were my friends? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but also, they told you not to go back home. Yeah. If, if, if by chance, I thought Heidegger might have been alive, and then I found him dead, I would immediately go, oh, well, they know where we all live. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so, do not go home has already been told to him.
2: Yeah. Turner books it away from his house, and we see Wicks land his chopper in front of the World Trade Center. Turner calls into Higgins' office again just as Wicks walks in. They advise him to wait in an alley behind a nearby hotel. Turner's section leader, Wicks, will meet him there.
0: I've never met him. Don't worry. Studying
2: your photos now. Turner? Turner!
0: I don't know you either. We'll meet.
2: They convince him to follow their directions by promising a familiar face will be present. A friend named Sam Barber, and this seems to calm Turner down. We cut to an armory where Wicks and Sam Barber prepare for the meeting sam is putting on a flak jacket and wicks requests a 45 at the window in the gun cage yeah uh, suspicious
1: yeah the the uh, i was like as soon as you mentioned like what kind of gun do you have
2: it's like it's like oh yeah. no he wants to have the same gun that redford has while they wait for turner in the alley wicks piles a pair of trash cans turner spots sam and calls to him and sam is excited to find his friend when suddenly wicks opens fire on him <laughs> What are you doing? It's him! It's him! Go! Turner fires back, hitting Wicks, and then makes a run for it. Wicks falls to the ground and shoots Sam in the throat right above his bulletproof vest. Turner hides in a coat shop and overhears a woman placing an order long enough to catch her name when the salesman says it. He calls to her to get her attention when she steps outside, and he pushes a gun into her ribs demanding a ride to her home. Higgins from the World Trade Center office joins an important meeting of higher-ups to discuss the day's events. Turner and Kathy arrive at her apartment building. A neighbor says hello, and she doesn't respond. Turner chastises her for her suspicious choice, and the neighbor was actually played by Sidney Pollack, who technically plays three characters in the film. Hmm. He's also, I think when he was coming out of the building, he was the taxi driver that like honked at him when he wandered into the street. Oh, okay. Back at the CIA meeting, Higgins is informed that Barber is now dead, shot in the neck right above his vest, and Wicks is in surgery. They seem impressed by the neck shot, since as far as they knew, Turner wasn't qualified with a handgun. Evidently was sheer luck. The leader of this meeting is Mr. Wabash, played by John Houseman, who coordinates an immediate manhunt.
3: I mean, from their perspective, though, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. I mean, not only does he not have the skill to make a shot like that, but they specifically picked his friend as a friend. Why would he shoot his friend? Why right. would he bother going to the meeting place at all if he was planning to shoot
2: It's them? weird that they didn't consider any other alternative to right. him having done this.
1: Yeah, the, their their leap of logic was he doesn't have the skill to pull this off, which means he's been secretly
2: trained. Right. <laughs> it's
1: like, that's... A,
2: but. He, like, well, let's see. Was there anyone else there and what who w- checked out the exact same gun?
3: And what would be his motivation?
2: Yeah, yeah. especially if... He's been working in this office for months and suddenly his whole team is killed and he called you guys to report help, it panicked. And, mm-hmm. and,
3: and and you're like, cool, we're sending help. Why would he shoot you?
2: Yeah, why would he bother to even go to this yeah, meeting? Yeah, he wouldn't even show
1: up. It wouldn't make any sense.
2: And I would never meet them in an alley. Right. I mean, you're at you a meet hotel. in a public place. You yeah. meet in a restaurant or something. In Kathy's apartment, she reads Tentrex Industries off his business card. He advises her to look up CIA in the phone book and recognizes that it's the same phone number. He explains that he's a mere researcher in the office.
0: We read everything that's published in the world. And we, we feed the plots, dirty tricks, codes, into a computer. And the computer checks against actual CIA plans and operations. I look for leaks, I look for new ideas, we read adventures and novels and journals
1: i who'd invent a job like that but the isn't that a really bad cover
3: like how hard is it to get a second phone
2: number
1: yeah it's like it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna check out this guy's uh place of business to make sure it's legit hello cia i was like oh whoops
2: (laughs) Is that how they answer the phone at the CIA, you think?
1: Well, if you have a CIA listed in the phone book, I imagine they must have some kind of call Yeah, symbol. you
2: can't well, You can't be theory, like, hello, Tentrix Industries, because well, then people will look up that phone Well, number. that's what I was going
3: to say. If anybody calls the CIA number, you're going to be answering the phone as if you're this fake place.
2: All you have to do is answer the phone and say, do you know your extension? And if they don't, then you hang up on them. Mm-hmm. It's the CIA. They don't yeah, have to help true. you. They don't have to be user-friendly. <laughs>
1: what users? Exactly.
2: Why is there even a phone number?
1: Uh, the there's the same there's kind of a, a bit like that in um sneakers with Robert Redford yeah where he keeps trying to get a hold of somebody but they keep just asking him what is your what is your party's extension yeah and he keeps trying different things but they won't let him through
2: right yeah I've been there before <laughs> even with places I've worked in the past where I'm like just trying to call Pie Town to call out sick it's like <laughs> I don't know I don't know my extension
3: <laughs> you worked for the CIA. <laughs> Yeah, we called it Pie Town. (laughs) We called it Pie
2: Town. P I E. (laughs) the (laughs) P-I-E. He asks to hang out in her apartment until he can make sense of everything that's happened. She mentioned before that someone else lives here with her and explains now that he left on a ski trip and she was supposed to join him today. He pushes her into a bed and lays down beside her, pressing her against a wall in a position where he can get a little rest, but he'd also feel it if she tried to escape. She pleads for a chance to sleep in a different room and claims to believe him.
0: I believe what you told me.
2: No, you don't. I don't know if I do. Out on the street, we see a man hand an envelope, presumably payment, to Jobert, requesting that he track down Condor and take him out before their plans are too public. The only other loose end now is Wicks, and Jobert agrees to take that man out for free since he considers Condor's escape his own fault. (laughs)
1: I I really like Joe Bear. Yeah. Because he's like he's like, Yeah, I messed up, so you
2: get a freebie. (laughs) I don't know why Wix is the free one though. It seems like Condor should be the free one since that was the screw up. No, I
3: think Oh wait. I I thought he did mean Condor was the free one, but no, he's asking him to kill Wix. He says
2: he says, Yeah, I'll kill Wix too, and I'm not gonna charge you for it because Uh. Condor's my fault.
0: Cost you nothing. I was careless with Condor. Wix will be done for nothing.
2: Turner wakes with a startle and turns on the TV intending to learn from the news. This was back when you could learn from the news. (laughs) He looks around at Kathy's mounted photography and guesses from the seasons portrayed when they were taken. The news comes on and announces the local shootout that left one man dead and another injured. He tries to call Sam's place and a woman answers, but he doesn't say anything. Turner asks Kathy when her boyfriend will notice she's missing and she assumes he'll call looking for her any minute now. After a bit of tense discussion... Turner concludes that he can't trust her and that she doesn't believe his story, so he ties her up before he leaves. He heads to Sam's place where Mrs. Sam is working steadily on dinner. Turns out Turner and Janice were supposed to meet Sam and his wife for dinner, but instead of telling her what happened, somebody called Sam's wife and said he's working late tonight. She assumes the same about Janice. He doesn't respond to any of her questions and then suddenly grabs her tight and asks why she's so sure Sam is working with oh, him.
1: What do you think he's doing? What did he call? I don't know, 2
0: or 2:30. Two what did he say? Exactly. Well, he didn't exactly. He had the center call. Who at the center? I didn't recognize his voice. it wasn't that lady that usually call.
2: Nobody speaks to her through the phone and he urges her out of the apartment immediately. He tells her to go to Bill and Eileen's place and to wait for his word to do anything else. Bill and Eileen is a reference to regular Redford collaborator William Goldman and his wife Eileen. He shoves her into the building elevator just as Jobert comes out, but then Jobert suspiciously waits immediately to take the elevator back down with Turner. They give each other glances behind a man and woman holding a cake in the elevator. When that couple steps out, they're replaced with three young adults, and then finally, Turner and Jobert are alone together.
1: Yeah, the the three young adults, I guess, were just going down one floor. Yeah, but the within
2: guy, the elevator, but not to the bottom. But
1: not to the bottom, but then he pushes all the buttons in the elevator. Yeah.
2: Turner gives Jobert the right-of-way to step out first when they reach the ground floor, and before he goes outside, Turner enlists a group of teens by the door to help him break into his own car. He leaves the building and a crowd of kids, and suddenly we're watching him from the POV of Jobert's crosshairs, and the man is frustrated he can't get a clean shot off
3: i I like how he convinces the kids to go out there though because he's like well i need i need i think he said he needed help with his car right yeah he he like locked his keys in and so he's like i'll give you five bucks to to help me out and and they're like yeah yeah okay sure five bucks
2: but then as soon as they get outside he just breaks free from the group and runs off once he thinks he's in the clear Without ever getting to a locked car, Turner runs from the kids to Kathy's car and skids away, but not before Jobert can get a look at the license plate. When he gets back to Kathy's place, the phone is ringing, and he orders her to answer the phone at gunpoint and give a believable excuse. Her boyfriend is disappointed to learn that the generator in her car is fucked, and he tells her to take the bus tomorrow, and she agrees to try.
1: Well, he's also kind of like, like I guess this is not the only time that she's canceled on him and he's just like oh this is the same goddamn crap every time it's like oh man you need to get,
2: get rid of this guy yeah and the voice of the boyfriend here is actually the third character played by sydney pollack in the film after she hangs up turner promises to be out of her hair by tomorrow she assures him again that if he hadn't tied her up she still wouldn't have turned him in he doesn't understand and she compares him to the pictures that she can't share with people because of what they say about her deepest self
0: i'd like to see those pictures We don't know each other that well. Do you know anybody that well? I don't think I want to know you very well. I don't think you're going to live much longer.
2: He asks to stay another night and unties her hands, and they're quickly kissing and laying down in bed together
1: well and just before that during their conversation it's it's very oddly lit um the, the so we're seeing like a two shot of them facing each other but from camera's perspective they're almost in silhouette yeah but the room is still lit behind them.
2: They're just really dark.
1: Yeah, but there's this weird light that's reflecting off the bottom lip of Robert Redford's mouth. And it looks like he's got like a glowing marble in his mouth. I didn't even notice and it that. was so distracting. <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's like you got a flashlight inside of your mouth. And I see it every time you open your that's mouth. That's
2: very weird. Gotta,
3: gotta go back and see that shot again.
2: <laughs> the next morning, Turner is trying to recount the events of the previous day. Higgins called the man who shot Sam his section chief. But Turner never heard a name. He remembers multiple times that Langley shut down a theory he had proposed, and now he worries he was dangerously close to the truth. He digs the rejection telegram from Langley out of his pocket and finds the name of Section Chief Wicks. Kathy comes in to prepare some tea, and Turner tells her he has a plan today and might need her help. She says he was talking about Janice in his sleep.
0: Was she a volunteer or a draftee like me? She was friend she's dead do i have permission to take a shower you
2: don't have to help you know
0: oh, no, no, i'll help could always depend on the old spy fucker <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is a weird joke for her to make right here she backs off a bit when she can see the joke bothered him we cut to a hospital where wicks is flatlining and a nurse phones it into the authorities
3: Or kind of just phones it in. She really just kind of walks out of the room, but she's like, "Oh, you know that." that Oh, that's the guy. Yeah, that's the important one. She just waddles out slowly. Yeah, like, come on, lady, this is urgent.
1: Yeah, (laughs) this is a
2: code blue. (laughs) A postman knocks on Kathy's door looking for a signature, and Turner notices the man's odd choice of footwear just before the guy would have gunned him down. It seems insane that he'd be in such an accurate postal uniform, and that they'd fuck up the detail of the shoes so obviously. Turner throws the boiling water on the counter at the man, and they fight back and forth over his gun. Kathy returns in a bathrobe to find the men fighting and even tries to intervene on Turner's behalf when the man opens fire at Turner, missing by a lot, and Turner cuts the man down with a handgun. He still isn't trained to use this well. (laughs) It's like, we've established that you're not supposed to be good with this gun, but Mm -hmm. you're hitting everyone you shoot at.
3: Yeah. Well, he reads a lot.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I read Dick Tracy. I know how to shoot people. (laughs) Kathy's in shock to see a man killed in her apartment, but Turner assures her that she is okay. He checks the man's corpse, and the man is riddled with clues like some kind of fucking amateur. (laughs) First he finds a key, and then a memo from Five Continents Imports Incorporated with some phone numbers. He dials the number with a DC area code and reaches Langley. He asks to speak with Wicks, and when they say he's out, Turner hangs up. Later, we see him driving with Kathy and explaining that Wicks is his section chief and the man who tried to kill him. Turner drops Kathy off outside the World Trade Center, and she heads inside, posing as an applicant to the CIA. <laughs> you just walk <laughs> like right who. in with your resume. My dad just dropped me off. I want to work for the CIA.
1: Because <laughs> they, they just take interviews any time of the day. Yeah. They don't have, like, a scheduling or... Right. I mean, I guess, I guess if you were just trying to apply for maybe just a a clerical
2: mailroom or or still these people need to be vetted very thoroughly yeah exactly just walk up to
3: the counter can i have a can i have an application
2: (laughs) kathy is directed to the office of clarence addison but instead pops into higgins office in the lobby she gives turner a nod to indicate that higgins is in fact here later higgins is on a lunch break at mccoy's restaurant and bar and kathy sits across from him with a message from turner
0: dear mr higgins this will introduce a friend of mine, Sparrow Hawk. Please accompany her to the Nassau Street exit of this place.
2: Now. She says Turner's watching them with a gun, and she leads Higgins outside. They throw Higgins into a truck and check him for weapons, but he's unarmed. He presents Higgins with the memo and describes the mailman and the elevator assassin, Bear. but Higgins is truthfully clueless. As he describes Bear, we see Max von Sydow painting Pewter Soldiers. A phone rings, and he turns to answer it. The man who paid him the night before is checking on the status of the hits. He says he hasn't heard back from the Condor Killer, but that he was busy with the bigger contract, i.e. Wicks.
0: But I might have underestimated this one.
2: I was told you never make that kind of mistake. What will you do? Wait. From Turner's description, Higgins gathers that he means Jobert, who he has employed from time to time as a professional hitman. Higgins can't say for certain who hired him, But it would have to be an agent of the intelligence community
0: community intelligence field
2: community jesus you guys are kind to yourselves community he explains to higgins exactly what he believes he uncovered a hidden intelligence organization within the cia and people seem willing to kill to keep it hidden higgins fears turner is digging into something more dangerous than he could possibly know
0: ask wicks wicks died Someone yanked him off the life support system at governor Hospital.
2: Turner begs Higgins to bring him into the agency, and Higgins points out that he's no safer there now, if what he says is true. Turner and Kathy leave Higgins alone in a park. Turner steals a briefcase out of the back of a phone company van and takes the key he found to a locksmith. The locksmith is hesitant to admit that the number on the key indicates where it can be used, and Turner bribes the man for the information.
1: Yeah, uh, the utility truck briefcase at first i thought it was some kind of drop yeah i was like but it turns out he just
2: knows what he's doing here
1: yeah but also it's so strange because this is like a really standard piece of like utility equipment yeah that they would keep it in like a valise inside the back of a utility truck
2: at the holiday inn where jobert is staying turner hacks into the phone system with the stolen equipment and calls room 819 to reach him
0: i'm doing a survey do you believe the condor is really an endangered
2: species He hangs up and connects the phone to a tape recorder to tap the line. Jobert calls the man who paid him to report what he just heard. Turner uses the recording of the touchtone dialing to find out who Jobert called. Then he calls another number and gives them the number that Jobert dialed and orders a CNA to request a customer name and address.
1: Uh, I was really disappointed that he as learned as he was, he, he wasn't... couldn't recognize the numbers, yeah. I was yeah. Like that, he had to like send it to a computer to tell him.
2: But he did have a device in place. He called yeah. the CIA and like played the recording to it, and then mm-hmm. it told him what the number was. But you would think he'd be able to hear it if he's a f- professional phone freak.
0: One moment, please. That would be uh, Mr.
3: Leonard Atwood,
0: 365 McKenzie Place, Chevy Chase, Maryland.
3: This was the point. And I learned that Chevy Chase was a place.
2: Yeah. That and that, that they have after. nothing
3: to do with each other. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's where he's buried. What? Huh? And we're just waiting for him to die now.
1: <laughs> Won't be long now.
2: I think it's a place in the UK also. Is it? Yeah.
3: Well, I also learned that his name is not actually Chevy.
2: <laughs> right. It's Ford Chase, <laughs> <laughs> Subaru Chase. <laughs>
3: It's like Cornelius or something like that, isn't it?
2: Cornelius? Maybe. That sounds right. Higgins is back at headquarters and locates the identity of the postman assassin, William Lloyd. He cross-checks Lloyd and Wicks for common cases and finds the supposed termination of freelance agent Jobert. So these three men worked together. The two assassins pretended to kill the third assassin. But they didn't actually kill him. Turner brings his stolen briefcase to a huge phone bank, and then calls the major to speak with Higgins. He tells Higgins exactly where to find Joe Bear. He also asks who Leonard Atwood is, and Higgins goes silent while he processes the question, because he's sitting beside him.
1: Yeah, I I, I was just like, he's in the room with me. Yeah. And I was like, but but I'm surprised that he wasn't on speakerphone.
2: Yeah, that would have been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Atwood is sitting directly beside him, and Higgins puts together that Turner has determined Atwood is the mole who put a price on Turner's head. The major claims to have traced the call, but suddenly the line is bouncing all over the city, and they realize that he nested like 20 phones together to reach them.
3: Another fascinating machine in this movie yeah. that mm-hmm. I don't actually understand. I'm
2: sure this is not real.
3: Okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's technology yeah. well before me, but it's just like it's, it's a physical map mm-hmm. that's bouncing around based on however it's triangulated where these calls are coming yeah. from. I'm yeah. like, how is it doing this? Yeah, I It seems know. like that
2: can't possibly be how it works.
1: <laughs> it, it, But it was fascinating to yeah. watch. It yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, it's like, it's probably, it looks like it's... uh, Like a microfish. Yeah, like it's like very zoomed in on a map yeah. and just moving around really quickly.
2: Outside the phone bank, Turner says his official goodbye to Kathy and urges her not to tell anyone about their adventure to avoid landing herself in danger. He boards a train. Back at headquarters, Houseman's Wabash character is questioning Higgins on his whole military background and shares a bit of his own.
0: You served with Colonel
1: Donovan in the OSS, didn't you, sir? I sailed the Adriatic with a movie star at the helm. Doesn't seem like much of a war now, but it was. I go even further back than that.
0: Ten years after the Great War, as we used to call it. ...before we knew enough to number them. You miss that kind of action, sir? No. I miss that kind of
2: clarity. Colonel Donovan is a reference to decorated officer William J. Donovan, who headed the OSS before it split into the Bureau of Intelligence and Research and the CIA. He's the only person to be awarded a Medal of Honor, a Distinguished Service Cross, a Distinguished Service Medal... And the National Security Medal, as well as a Purple Heart and many other commendations. He was portrayed by George Brent in the James Cagney film *The Fight in 60 which also starred Jeffrey Lynn as Sergeant Joyce Kilmer. Do you guys recall the last time Joyce Kilmer came up on the podcast?
3: No, not at all.
2: Give you a clue. She's a he. Um, uh, *Dressed to Kill*. Nope. <laughs>
1: I remember this line, right? It's, it's, someone says it, oh, she's a Oh,
3: oh. It's the the poem, um, what was that movie? Um, the Drive, Driving. We're driving across the country and it's Cannibal Run. Yep. Yay, mm, Cannibal there.
2: Run, Joyce Kilmer.
3: <laughs> Have you ever heard of Joyce
0: Kilmer? Yeah. She wrote a really terrific poem about a tree.
2: She's a he. And Are the she- same day, Joyce Kilmer is referenced in what other movie? <laughs> the same release date. Um, they referenced the same poem by the same poet.
3: It was it was a woman talking about it, and she's, uh, she's kind of artsy or something. I don't remember. I don't remember.
2: Superman 2. Superman
3: 2. Okay.
2: They're filing through the knowledge base on Earth, and a man appears on a hologram and says, Trees by Joyce oh, Kilmer. Oh, yeah. okay.
3: No, that was not. That was that was not what was happening in my brain. <laughs> I
0: was
3: misremembering.
2: Earth culture section B.
0: Trees by Joyce Kilmer of the planet Earth.
2: You were thinking of the Cannibal Run when when she's talking about oh, Joyce Kilmer.
3: Oh. okay. For some reason, when I remembered that scene, it was him talking about no, it. No. No. She's the one she's who's the obsessed one talking with about trees. it in Cannibal Run. Yeah. And the other one, it's a, it's a hologram what's its face
2: right i assumed when he said a movie star at the helm that he was referring to the fact that donovan has been featured in movies played by other actors but i've also found it suggested that when he mentions a movie star that he's possibly referring to sterling hayden who also served as a captain in the adriatic for the oss in world war hmm. ii wabash gets a call that someone's being detained at new york center and we cut presumably to 365 Mackenzie place chevy chase maryland Turner sits behind a desk in a dark office with music playing loudly and waits for Atwood to appear. Turner asks the man who he is. Atwood is the Deputy Director of Operations in the Middle East and eventually Turner deduces that this has all been about oil, which should have been one of your first guesses to the question, why war? (laughs) All the countries the books were printed in are OPEC nations. There is coded language being delivered through these books. Suddenly, Jobert is in the doorway behind Turner and I'm confused because I don't know who Wabash has in custody if it's not Jobert. Mm -hmm. I expected Atwood to breathe a sigh of relief when Jobert showed up since he paid this guy to kill Turner and now he seems to be here to do it. Instead, Jobert shoots Atwood in the head, framing it as a suicide and cleaning up any prints Turner might have left behind. What?
0: Did you touch anything except the chair? You're working for the company again. The desk. Well, the lamp. Jesus, they took you back. Just for this. For that word.
2: Turner is flabbergasted and assumes he is the last target, but Jobert was given no such contract.
0: Oh no, I have no arrangement with the company concerning you. They didn't know you'd be here.
2: I knew you'd be here.
3: But doesn't he still have an outstanding debt? to the guy he just shot to kill this guy
2: oh money to a dead guy i
3: i I guess so so he already got paid so i was gonna say yeah he does he must already have his money for that one yeah Mm -hmm. and so he's like well i got out of having to do that job
2: maybe that's why they had the condor one be the free one yeah because he's like i don't even owe this guy money for it i told him i'd do it for free It's a benefit to
3: him if he's got one less job to do if he kills this guy yeah yeah
2: Jobert has nothing against Turner. It's all 100% business. He warns Turner about how he will meet his end if he doesn't get out now.
0: It would happen this way. You may be walking. Maybe the first sunny day of the spring. And a car will slow beside you. And a door will open. And someone you know, maybe even trust, will get out of the car. And he will smile, a becoming smile. But he will leave open the door of the car and offer to give you a lift. You seem to understand it all so well. What would you suggest? Personally, I prefer
2: Europe. The scene is famously parodied in Seinfeld episode, The Junk Mail.
1: Yeah. Here's how it's going to happen. Maybe walking, maybe on a crisp autumn day, just like today, when a mail truck will slow beside you and the door will open and a mailman
0: you know, maybe even trust, will offer to give you a lift.
2: Wherein Kramer tries to cancel all his mail and is brought face to face with Henry Atkins, the postmaster (laughs) general played by Wilford Brimley, (laughs) who tells him the fate he will suffer Mm -hmm. if he doesn't keep receiving mail. They care a lot, apparently jobert offers him a ride to union station but apparently this isn't the last ride that jobert was referring to
1: yeah yeah jobert even gives him back his gun he's right and he says for that day yeah i like that
2: line turner finds higgins in new york and takes him on a walk at gunpoint again do we have plans
0: to invade the middle east are you crazy am i look turner do we have plans no absolutely not we have games
2: that's all Higgins assures him that all their missions are theoretical until, of course, they aren't theoretical. Mm-hmm. Turner thinks Atwood's group planned on simply executing the plan, and it would have worked too.
3: I don't actually understand what the plan was. What? What is? Ha- what? What was he planning?
2: <laughs> invading the Middle East for their oil.
3: But I don't understand how. Oh. A, a rogue CIA agent could honestly be doing that. Not
2: it's not just one guy. He's communicating with all the other OPEC nations via these book publishing maneuvers,
1: or other other cells that are in operation right. within these countries. It just
3: it just still seems like you it's know. literally
2: a plan that the CIA put together in case the government ever asked for it. But he was just acting on the plan behind the scenes.
3: Yeah, but I imagine in case in th- in the event. That the government wanted to do this, it would also have entire U.S. Army involved in in the execution of it, this plan. It
2: might not be necessary. I also feel like it's um kind of like Doctor Strangelove in that if you force the government's hand, then they suddenly, if they're halfway into the operation, then then it's better for them to just go right. along with it. Right. We can't not. Than it is it. to back <laughs> out. Okay. Yeah.
3: Fair enough. But to what end? To what? What? How does that benefit
2: Atwood? Step three: profit.
1: What, what i don't understand about atwood's plan most of all is why you would publish these things in books that you know are being read by cia operatives
2: looking for codes well i guess he didn't realize that they read everything or or, <laughs> or that anyone would ever notice oh that's weird that these are getting published for these random countries that it doesn't seem like there's a demand for this i mean
3: turner can read all those languages
2: i think so i hmm. think he's just a super genius hey I- to me it should have been
1: more the plot of that they wanted to see if this coding system could be broken or right. be or be found out like mercury rising kind of thing sure like, like you know we'll run a test to see if our top analyst can spot it and if he
2: does we'll, we'll kill him we'll kill and him we'll find a new plan yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: boy what is it
0: with you people you think not getting caught in a lie is the same thing as telling the truth
2: The same line is spoken in The Interpreter.
1: You're lying to me again. You think that not getting caught in a lie is the same thing as telling the truth? I'm not.
2: Higgins spells it out that the world is made up of limited resources and it's best to control them now than to try and take them later when everyone is starving and desperate for them. Turner is tired of the government speak and admits that everything he's been through has just been handed off to the New York Times as an article.
0: You poor dumb son of a bitch. You've done more damage than you know. I hope so.
2: Higgins hits him with one last sobering thought.
0: How do you know they'll print it? You can take a walk, but how far if they don't print it? They'll print it. How do you know?
2: Turner seems shaken by the suggestion, and we freeze frame on him walking away to roll credits.
3: I feel like we needed, like, him to have also not not just told these guys but have Mm. some sort of dead man switch to release 12 more copies to the major newspapers across the nation but but,
1: but what evidence does he have
2: just a a pile of books yeah
1: he's he's just he just has his story and then yeah the potentially the book and him having to explain that there's a code hidden within this book that explains
2: but i don't know the code i don't know what the message is that's being delivered i could just tell you there's a code in this book Mm -hmm. um what i thought for sure when uh
1: when he tells the car he tells Higgins to wave the car that was waiting for them on. I thought for sure as the car went by, you were going to see Kathy in the car. Yeah. Like that was going to be the friendly face to lure him into the car. Yeah.
2: I I feel like that's definitely should have been the closing image of this. Like Mm -hmm. instead of this freeze frame, even that he turns around and walks away and you see her in a car Mm -hmm. pushing the door open. Cause then it's like, Oh shit. Like somehow they led him to her and she's been in on this from the beginning. Or, at least, or they
3: turned her yeah. against him, you know, however they could. By explaining and that then, he's actually psychotic. So now he can't he can't trust literally anyone in his life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Except for Mrs. Sam. Yeah. And Bill and Eileen.
3: <laughs> Bill and Eileen.
2: Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Oddly enough, his only
1: his only person that he can trust is Schau Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because you, you at least know where he stands because it's whoever paid
2: him
0: last.
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. You well just and,
2: be like keep some money on you and then joe will leave you alone well
1: joe even kind of offers him a job or a potential like out like yeah, yeah. If, if you want to do this it's very you know yeah you, you're you not a lot be- of travel yeah you're not be- well he says you, you, you don't have to worry about a side you it's not it doesn't matter to you
2: yeah Uh, Changes from the book, Uh, the book takes place mostly in Washington, D.C. instead of New York, and instead of being about oil in the Middle East, it centers on the importation of illegal drugs from Laos, but the way the movie is written compared to the book, it seems a lot more prophetic because Mm -hmm. it's before we had invaded the Middle East for their oil, and it's before this world trade center cia office was ever unveiled so it, it seems like there might have even been someone who knew about these things and communicated it to the author before they showed up in the script because it's like how could they have just guessed all this stuff and had it be right but it was right
3: i don't know the government's just predictable
2: yeah maybe that's maybe that's the bigger problem
3: predictably awful i mean yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i mean
1: i guess this is this is uh before the formula right uh so very similar
2: kind of stuff going on yeah yeah yeah. um i think this is definitely a big thumbs up for me oh for sure yeah
3: yeah I, i give it a thumbs up I struggled to follow all the things, because I felt like I was supposed to know more than I think I did, which, because a lot of it kind of unravels right at the end. Sure, yeah. So, the whole way through, I'm like, what am I missing? I don't understand what's happening.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't, the only thing, I guess, that, that I felt was really kind of shoehorned in was the sex scene, and the yeah. weird attempt at, at giving them, like, I guess she has Stockholm Syndrome, maybe? like. But it, that's
2: all... All these stories go is the the spy ropes in an innocent woman and then they end up falling in love that's that's like such a trope of yeah, these stories i,
1: I guess but it, it it just it just seemed it just seemed weird especially because there's no payoff in that that because she just goes on she goes back to her life
2: yeah i mean the only reason that it makes sense is because it's robert redford like faye dunaway even made the point that it's like the hardest part of this job was pretending like she was worried about getting raped by Robert Redford. <laughs> like <laughs> she was like, Oh no, <laughs> darn it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, it doesn't, it's not necessary to the story really. Yeah. It's just something that you had to put in these movies to get people to come out and see them. Um, there needed to be a romantic angle so that it can be a date movie on top of being a political thriller. But yeah, I think uh, the story unravels very neatly um, I think it's smart. It's smartly written, and uh, Max von Sydow is always great in these mm-hmm. roles, where he's just like a creeper who's thinking ten steps ahead of everyone. And I like that he's like, what is it? He, I guess he's neutral. Neutral. I mean, is he is he yeah. is he I, I lawful say, evil?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say lawful evil. In that, uh, although you know, the neutral though, I guess it's neutral evil. Is that a, is that an option? Uh, yeah, because he doesn't really care um but he has his own rules that he follows yeah and but he's, not, he's
2: he's not invested in it and it's yeah. like no hard feelings it's just kind of like i'm just i'm just a, a pawn in this situation yeah.
1: like he's like i'm i'm not here to kill you today but
2: right yeah but who knows about tomorrow yeah. kind of thing you know if you can convince people that you aren't alive for me to kill then we'll never have a problem because <laughs> i have no reason to kill you
1: Gives him a ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, oh, I kind of like him now, even though he killed your girlfriend and all your other friends. But, yeah. But it, he didn't do it specifically to get you. He is, it's not, he just did it because he was hired to do it. Yeah.
2: He was contracted to do it by a, a representative of the CIA, or so he thought at the time. And he was careful about, like, not hurting anyone more than he needed to by telling mm-hmm. her to stay away from the window when he shot her. Well, also that they would. Well, I think give it them gave, away. Them, it gave them away. away yeah. I,
3: I think that they were not on the ground floor at that point, and it was more about not letting people know that there's bullets flying through this but office. But
2: they fired a lot of bullets on the yeah. ground floor that were pretty loud.
1: Well, yeah, I guess- they had like had silence or something. Yeah. That they,
2: yeah. Um, that, and that was the
1: thing that bothered me, too, is when Robert Redford unloads his gun at the mailman in her apartment building.
2: Nothing comes of
3: it. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, like she- she's getting changed while he's searching the body he's like someone has to have called the police about and did they
2: just leave that body in her apartment yeah I I assume like she's gonna have to call someone to come get it eventually she's (laughs) not just gonna like miss 45 (laughs) this thing into sausage (laughs) feed it to a dog
3: I really wanted when he was asking the guys like well what about the mailman I wanted him to be like what mailman like i didn't send a mailman well, after you like it was just some it was yeah, just, yeah. it was just
2: it's like no that guy just went postal
3: <laughs> like it was literally just a regular mailman yep. who happened to be carried a gun yeah it's <laughs>
1: like
2: first i put on the wrong shoes this morning i'm so angry <laughs> <laughs> If
1: one more person says anything about my shoes i swear to
2: god yeah infuriating
1: but higgins does say he's like we don't hire mailmen <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was like, I don't, know, it was, it was like, it's like, I don't think you understand. I mean, he was dressed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he seemed like, he seemed like
2: totally like disturbed or, or insulted. It's like the very idea. How dare you? That's someone else's <laughs> department. We're the CIA.
3: Got to work your way up from mail. Yeah,
2: know? but we all have the same retirement plan. Dying in a hailstorm of bullets. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Our director here was Sidney Pollack. He previously directed They Shoot Horses, Don't They, Jeremiah Johnson, The Yakuza. We'll see his work later this season on Absence of Malice and next season on Tootsie. Later still in Out of Africa, The Firm, and the 90s Sabrina remake. He also does a fair amount of acting, most notably in his own film Tootsie, and later in Husbands and Wives, Eyes Wide Shut, and Michael Clayton. The novel here was from James Grady based on his novel Six Days of the Condor. He also has a credit on the 1986 and 2018 television adaptations of the same novel entitled Condor. He also directed the 2006 documentary Jesus Camp, which is actually a really good documentary. I had no idea he was involved with it, but it's good. He he co-directed it with his stepdaughter, actually. Uh, The writer here is Lorenzo Semple Jr., He's an action TV writer for series like Batman, Rat Patrol, and The Green Hornet. Later, he has screenplay credits on Papillon, The Parallax View, The Drowning Pool, and just after this, The 76 King Kong. We've heard his words previously in our Flash Gordon review, and he'll be back in our fourth season writing Never Say Never Again. Writer David Raphael, He's an uncredited writer of Jeremiah Johnson and The Electric Horseman. He also has uncredited work on Absence of Malice this season and later on Out of Africa, but he actually gets credits on later Pollock titles Firm, Intersection, and Sabrina. The music here is from Dave Grusin who provided additional music for The Graduate. He composed the scores for The Yakuza, Murder by Death, The Electric Horseman. We've heard his work so far in My Bodyguard, and he's back later this season scoring Absence of Malice and On Golden Pond, and next season with Author, Author, and Tootsie. And we also just recently had a music credit for him in The Long Goodbye, right? Yeah. And he pointed out that he also scored um, The Goonies. The Goonies, yeah. At the same time. Uh, Cinematographer here was Owen Roisman, who I think actually just passed away. Um, He was the DP on The French Connection, The Exorcist, Taking of Pelham 123, and The Stepford Wives before this. He's back for The Return of a Man Called Horse, Network, and The Electric Horseman. We've seen his work so far in The Black Marble and True Confessions. And later this season, he lights Absence of Malice and Taps. And later, Adam's Family and French Kiss. And yeah, he just passed away in January. January, yeah. Uh, The editor here was Don Guidici, who also cut The Yakuza. Robert Redford plays Turner, before this he was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Hot Rock, Jeremiah Johnson, The Sting, The Great Gatsby, and next he did All the President's Men. We've seen him so far in Brubaker and Behind the Camera for 1980 Best Picture Ordinary People. Later he's in The Natural, Out of Africa, The Horse Whisperer, and more recently he's shown up in the MCU as Alexander Pierce as a result of this film. Faye Dunaway played Kathy, before this she was the titular Bonnie of Bonnie and Clyde. She's Mrs. Pendrake in Little Big Man and Evelyn Mulray in Chinatown. We've seen her so far in The First Deadly Sin and Mommy Dearest. And later she shows up in Supergirl, Barfly, and the remake of The Thomas Crown Affair. Cliff Robertson played Higgins. He was Mike Hagen in The Pilot, which gets a minisode eventually. Later, he's Hugh Hefner in Star 80 and The President in Escape from L.A., but he's probably best known for his part in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy as Uncle Ben Parker. I also was just reading about a movie called Charlie. Have you ever heard of Charlie? Uh,
1: like the Flowers for Algernon adaptation?
2: I don't know. Um, Charlie is about uh, – Cliff Robertson is the lead character, and he is a man who is uh, – is mentally handicapped and he's given some kind of a treatment that causes him to be smarter and smarter but evidently he won best actor he, he got an oscar for best actor for this part
1: yeah so it was that it was it was adapted from flowers uh, for algernon
2: oh okay yeah i didn't know that interesting max von seidel played joe bear Uh, He began his career working with Swedish director Ingmar Bergman in films like The Seven Seal, Wild Strawberries, and The Virgin Spring. His American career began largely as Father Marin in The Exorcist, and then here as Jobert in Three Days of the Condor. After this, he's King Osric in Conan the Barbarian, Brewmaster Smith in Strange Brew, Blofeld in Never Say Never Again, an uncredited role in The Ice Pirates, Dr. Kynes in Lynch's Dune, the voice of Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters 2. He's Judge Fargo in Judge Dredd, Papinow in The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Lor Sentaka in The Force Awakens, and his last big thing was his appearance as the Three-Eyed Raven on Game of Thrones. We've seen him so far in Flash Gordon and Victory. He passed away in March of 2020. John Houseman played Mr. Wabash. He has one title in the 30s and another in the 60s before his best-known work in The Paper Chase. We've seen him so far in The Fog, Holy Moses, and My Bodyguard, and he's back later this season for Ghost Story and later Scrooged and The Naked Gun. Addison Powell played Atwood. He showed up in 37 episodes of Dark Shadows. He's also Abe in the original Thomas Crown Affair. Walter McGinn played Barber, Sam Barber. He was Jack Younger in The Parallax View. Michael Kane, not that Michael Kane, played Wix, but not Kane, the writer of Smokey and the Bandit Part 2, Southern Comfort, or Jaws 3D. Or Michael Caine from Jaws 4. (laughs) Those are two different Michael Caines. Robert Phelan.
3: Just to be clear, there's three Michael Caines. There's three.
2: There's two of them that spell it with a K and one that spells it with a -A C-A-I-N. Okay. E. (laughs) (laughs) You thought I was going to miss it, but I didn't.
3: You only needed a C. You only had to say C.
2: C? Robert Phelan played Newberry. Who's Newberry? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> doctor, he's Dr. Wynn in Halloween and Major Bell in Babylon 5. Lee Steele played Heidegger. He was doctor in The Nesting, presumably the one tricked into falling off of the roof of the Octagon house. I,
1: I like that that the corpse gets a credit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he just laid on a bed and bled. That's all he did. Ed Crowley played Ordnance Man. That's the guy who hands him the 45, I guess. He was a sheriff in Witness. He's Bardo in Serpico and Joe Donnelly in Network. We saw him last as Caretaker in The Fan. James Keene played Store Clerk. He was Duck Hunter Bubba in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. He's Detective Keene in Falling Down and Pat Patton in Dick Tracy. He's also Pinky in Brubaker last season with Redford again. Ed Satrakian played Customer. He's Al Hyman in Zodiac. Russell Johnson played an intelligence officer at a briefing. I didn't even see him in there.
1: I did not see him either. He's
2: uncredited, but apparently he's in there. And he plays the professor from Gilligan's Island, but he's probably best known for his appearance as Oslo in MacGyver episode Ugly Duckling. Those are all the credits I have for this one. I think that's it for Three Days of the Condor. Thanks again to Justin Aylett for their generous contribution to the show. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing whatever the next custom requested episode was. I can't say until they're officially announced, and we leave you now with the trailer for Three Days of the Condor
0: this is a major this is joe turner identification my name is turner i work for you now listen. identify yourself what is your designation uh condor something has happened section 9 department 17 the section's been hit what level what level level of damage everybody dr lap janice ray harold everybody is dead what is it what is it are you damaged damaged no. Are you armed? Identify the armament. It's a 45 automatic. Will you guys bring me in, please? I'm not a field agent. I just read books. This is the panic office. Section 917 may have been hit. Hit confirmed. It was a quality of work. Clean, fast, first rate. Except the overlook one item one of my people is still okay condor you know him. no this is condor who is this deputy director higgins new york center i'm controlling now condor where are you how come i need a code name and you don't the head of your department just came here from dc he's going to bring you home i've never met him no worry (laughs) two years military service Separated 961, worked at Bell Labs Communication Research College on the GI Bill. This condor isn't the man his file says he is. But wait a minute, I don't. Get in the car. Don't make a sound. Don't be dumb. Come on, hurry up. Get in. I work for the CIA. I am not a spy. Your assignment for today was to go out and kidnap a girl. I'll need your help. Have I ever denied you anything? I don't think you're going to live much longer. Well, I may surprise you we have games what if how many men what would it take seven people killed and you play games and the other side does too condor is an amateur he's lost unpredictable he could fool a professional yes do you believe the condor is really an endangered species conclude the condor episode without any more noise Already visible, let's not become conspicuous. If company agents aren't
1: enough, use freelance. Use whatever it requires, but end it.
2: Robert
0: Redford and Faye Dunaway in danger and in love in Three Days of the Condor.